This episode of the Thontrepreneur Podcast is brought to you by Canna Planners. Canna Planners is on a mission to normalize the emerging cannabis industry through beautiful design and professional web and marketing solutions. Whether you're looking to create a new cannabis brand, improve your packaging design, or get your company online, Canna Planners has the perfect solution. Your website is the window into your cannabis company. Make sure that you look awesome, that your messaging is on point, and that traffic converts to customers through SEO. From CBD companies to dispensaries and everything in between, Canna Planners has you covered. Visit them online today at cannaplanners.com for a free web demo. That's cannaplanners.com. Hey there, I'm your host, TG Brandfault, and thank you for listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalized cannabis through the stories of gontrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Scott. He's the CEO of Ethos Cannabis, a multi-state operator developing a vertically integrated retail-focused platform in the mid-Atlantic and East Coast markets of the U.S. Uh, Teddy holds a PhD in molecular biophysics from the University of Texas and a JD degree degree from the Northwestern University School of Law. He's also worked in pharmaceutical research and practiced intellectual property law. Uh, he's also an advisor to the University of Chicago's Innovation Fund. That's an hell of an intro. A lot of stuff going on there, Teddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, sir. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing I'm doing well, man. It's, it's great to have you on. Uh, you're a really interesting cat just, just from your intro alone, and I did some research on you, and, and I'm real excited to, uh, to sort of pick your brain a bit. But before I get the opportunity to do that, tell me about yourself, man. How'd you end up in the cannabis space? Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story, you know, that it's one of those things you can't script out. I would have, if you'd asked me, 10 years ago, hell, I mean, even seven years ago, if, if I would be doing what, or where I am now doing what I'm doing, I would have said you were crazy. Um, I had, you know, I had a background in, uh, in medical research, went to law school and was a corner office equity partner at a big national law firm, uh, in, you know, headquartered in, a, I, I was located in downtown Chicago, uh, knew virtually nothing about cannabis. And uh, it was, what did you know about cannabis then? You know, just, you know, just what the same, you know, what I knew about cannabis was the same stuff that all the other people in this country that are ignorant to it because of what they've been told and led to believe, you know, the misinformation and the, for so long. Um, that's what, that's pretty much all I knew. I knew nothing about it. And what happened was it was, it was, it was, it was a really interesting, not, it was an interesting time period. It's, uh, if it, because it, it's really critical to remember, and it was January of 2014. I'll never forget it. Um, I was at a point in my life that it was probably the right time for me. I had reinvented myself a number of times, um, but I'd kind of gotten to a point. I was like, what am I going to do next? I had relative, four relatively young children. I was like, gosh, I can't really, I can't go off and do anything new. I need to just kind of hunker down and just continue being a lawyer. And just, you know, once my kids are in college, I'll look at doing something else. And what happened was it was, it was uh, January, 2014, a friend reached out to me. Uh, it was an email. I remember laying in my bed on a Thursday night and an email came in and it was this friend saying, who's a physician friend of mine and said, Hey, I know some people that are from Arizona that are coming to Illinois to apply for medical cannabis licenses. 
uh, and they're looking to raise money. Do you want to invest? Huh. And it was just boom. I, uh, I, it was an immediate thought of, no, I don't want to invest. I want to look at this. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I like to say all the time, if Google had not been around, I would not be where I am. I learned, you know, the, the power of the amount of information that is out there, podcasts uh, that are out there that I started listening to. And the reason I did was it's that as I tell the story to people to remember, it was very fortuitous for me because that was January of 14. And what had happened only a couple of weeks earlier, you know, January 1st, 2014, that was when rec sales started in Colorado. And I don't know if you remember, but it was on the news everywhere. Yeah. And I think what happened was by being a lawyer, I had a sense of, you know, I have a sense of the way laws are made, how they're interpreted, the way they evolve, you know, they're a measure of society. And I just had this sense that things were changing. You know, you couldn't help but see what was happening in Colorado a couple of weeks beforehand. And it just made me, it just made me start looking. I mean, that's what you do as a researcher. I mean, I have a PhD. That's what you do. You research, you dig in, you see a question, you want to understand it. As a lawyer, that's what you do. And I just started digging. And what happened in, you know, within, God, it was probably a couple of days, maybe it, it was, it was very quickly after that, uh, that I got that email. What I realized is I was digging into this, what was known at the time about the science of cannabis. I was like, oh my gosh, because, you know, one of my, I mean, I, I know very well what drug companies do the types of discoveries they make as a, with my PhD, I very much understood the, you know, how receptors work, how drugs work, interacting with them and the effects that happen. And as I was looking at this, I was like, wow, there's really something here. I don't, I don't know the answer. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody does with specificity, but it looks like there's something here. And what was the thing for you that, you know, you said that you didn't really know much, you, you know, you start Googling, you start researching once, you know, you, you notice that there's, you know, th th there's some interest there for you. What was sort of the thing for you that uh, the light bulb went off, right? That, that it sort of yeah. made it. Yeah, there were a couple of light bulbs and they, they, they happened really quickly, really within just the first couple of weeks I was looking at it. You know, the one was I'll call it my passion side because at first it was kind of intellectual. Huh, this is I was thinking of it kind of as a technical lawyer. I was thinking of it as maybe a scientist. That's very technical in nature. Um, the first was as I was looking at it, and I was looking at the this the science of it. Um, one of the things that was interesting for me, or has made an impact on me, is one of my clients as a lawyer was an opiate manufacturer. Huh. They're, they're one of the good ones. You know, there's a lot of bad, there's a, you know, there's a lot of bad press out there for, and, and well-deserved by the way, uh, for certain companies out there. The one I was working with was ethical and doing, they were spending tons of money trying to find new opiates that weren't addictive. Ones that, you know, could provide pain relief, but were not addictive. And I knew very well in a way that people in the country at the time, you know, the opiate epidemic only became pop. No, I don't want to say popular. I'll say really well known in the last few years, but I was well aware of it, you know, going back a, quite a while. And so when I was looking at the science of it 
what was known and just, I was like, oh my God, this could be, that was when I was saying this it, I was like, wow, this, this could be an alternative, one of the solutions to fill in that gap for chronic, you know, true chronic pain. I mean, there's, I mean, there's hundreds of millions of people that are suffering from chronic pain and, you know, you have a choice of Advil or fentanyl. I mean, there's like a huge gap. And it's, and it's hard to, and it's hard, right, to sort of uh, compartmentalize, right? Nobody, no, you, you can't really, patients can't tell doctors how, you know, how they're feeling pain oftentimes. Well, and that's the, pain is a weird thing. It's, it's, to you, pain might, you know, the same thing might happen to you, to somebody else. You might think, ah, eh, I'm okay. I can get by with a couple aspirin, like George, or not George, like Jeff Sessions said a couple of years ago, just take a couple <laughs> aspirin. But for somebody else, you know, they might be in agony. And what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to say, screw you, deal with it? Are you supposed to honor them and respect them and go, you know what? You're in agony. I need to try to help you. And that was, it was, so it, what it helped that, that was one of two things. But what that did for me was it made it no longer technical in nature, intellectual in nature. It really personified it. And, and the sad thing for me personally was very shortly after I started, it was before I had, uh, the company had got going. It was before we'd won any licenses. We were still in this planning stage. Uh, my father was diagnosed with uh, his first of two primary cancers. He passed away a couple of years ago. And it became really personal as I saw him. Yeah, I'm from Texas. That's where he was. And I saw him living in a state where it was illegal. And I mean, he was, he was dying. He was in agony and he, he was a physician. He was a physician oh. and he almost overdosed on opiates just as he was trying to deal with the pain of the radiation therapy and just the pain of cancer. And, you know, he's like, to me, son, can you get me some cannabis? I'm like, sorry, dad, I, you know, I, I can't, you know, it's down here. I'm, I'm up there. You don't live up there where it's illegal or available. And actually, some, he was able to get some in, off of, you know, through sources. You know, it was totally illegal down there. Yeah. It helped him. It helped him. It helped us reduce his opiates. And, you know, it, was he, so had he done research or was it just no. sort of a last ditch effort for him? It was a last ditch. I mean, he, yeah, it was, it was purely, you know, he's palliative care. He knows he's dying. He's just in agony. It was, it was, and it was purely just a last ditch effort for him. Uh, so that was, that was one thing that made it, I mean, one thing I've, I've said before, and it was, it's one of the things I'm very thankful for. You know, I, I've, you know, I've had a lot of, um, I'm very thankful in my life for, you know, my family, my, you know, my education. I've had a lot of opportunities, but the one thing that was missing, I didn't realize until I got into cannabis, I never had a cause, something I really believed in to really, you know, and this has really provided it for me. And so that was one thing that, you know, it's easy to, okay, people might chase money or fame or success, whatever it might be. It's really, it's really powerful when you're doing something beyond that, bigger than that. And cannabis has been that for me. And it became that. that was, so that was one of those aha moments really quickly is, you know, when I, you know, to be totally frank, when I first started looking at it, one of the first things I did was a spreadsheet model of a business model. And you could see big numbers in the dollar signs. That's kind of, it's that technical thing. But it quickly switched into this personal 
um, mission driven trying to do something. And so that was one thing, but I still didn't know anything about cannabis. I just saw the potential for it. Well, so let's let's talk a bit about, you know, the, your, your sort of first roles, uh, you know, your first experiences with the company and where you are now. You know, you started or, or at least worked for a time uh, as uh, executive at, at Pharmacan, which is very well known. Um, and now, you know, you founded your own company, uh, Ethos Cannabis. So, so what was the impetus or imperative uh, behind, you know, the founding of your own firm? What, you know, meanwhile, you're at. Or, or had been at you know one of the one of the largest in the comp in, in the country, um, and and how did the experiences sort of differ? Well, that I mean, I actually founded Pharmacan. Ethos is my second company to really to really start. The Pharmacan was the first one. Um, so that was you know, that January of fourteen. What led to it is me and a couple or two couple of co-founders. We founded Pharmacan, and so you know I was the CEO. I'm one of the co-founders at Pharmacan, and we. Uh, and so that was that was in 2014. We formed the company. We won our licenses in February of 15. Myself and one of my co-founders that was a partner of me at my law firm, we quit and went to go work in the cannabis business. We just that, quit. We just quit. And the you know, I'll just go back real fast because it's it's relevant to the the transition, is that what happened in the beginning you know, I'm starting to think about getting into this and I don't know anything about cannabis. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How are you going to start a business and you don't know the actual, <laughs> you don't know the product, you don't know the market, you don't know anything about it. And, you know, it was, I, there was two, there were two things. One was, as I was saying, Google and listening to podcasts. There's a great podcast, Free Weed. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, that yeah. I, I learned a lot from uh, Danny Danko. Yeah, uh, the host of that free week. I knew nothing about. I learned a lot about cannabis from Danny Danko. I learned. I learned about Danko from High Times Magazine. So yeah. when yeah. I was younger, and I would read High Times, that you know, and then he has a podcast much later. Anyway, it's sort of interesting. Yeah, and but the thing was, I went out to you know start to you know uh, to see operators in Colorado, California, wherever it might be. Just you know, I was like, I got to find a partner because I, I don't know. I you know I don't know anything. About, I'd never seen a cannabis plant. And they're really as I, as I, yeah, they're unbelievable. I mean, it's like it's one of the craziest things. And as I went out there, the, that was the other aha moment. It really, it's, it's there's a thread of it all the way through today. As I was out there, I was touring. I won't mention their name, but they were one of, if not the biggest uh, operator in Colorado. I mean, they had tons of dispensaries and you know, very well regarded, very successful. But as I was watching them, their operations, how they were growing their grow facilities and the way they were doing things, as I was watching it, I went into that thinking I'm at a competitive disadvantage because I don't know cannabis. But as I was watching them, I was like, wow, I'm actually, I actually have an advantage. They know cannabis right now but they don't know technology and they don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to scale a business. Huh? I know how to do that. And so it spent, that became really the, that was a big aha moment beforehand. I had been thinking of, Oh, I'm just going to start a small business. But then I saw the opportunity to grow a big business. And that was to, that I could see this was back when, or I thought what I saw and I've been right so far is I, could, I thought I saw where cannabis was headed. 
that it was going to go from, you know, underground to a legal, uh, you know, res, you know, respected opportunity in business. Yeah. But at the same time, as that happened, look at any business, you know, they start off manual, non-automated, unspecialized with technology. And what happens? They get more and more specialized, higher and higher technical, higher and higher quality, more and more reproducibility, it, you know, innovation, iteration. That's the way any business is. And I saw or that. The, or they get pushed out for not doing those things. Exactly. That's, that's just, that's the way it works. I mean, I don't, I don't and it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing. That's, you know, why societies, you have to always have education. You have to have job training. You have to have advancement because if you just, keep doing the same old thing, you're going to get passed by. That's just the nature of everything. And I saw that. And so that was, that was really one of the key things that led to the founding of Pharmacan. And also it's, I mean, it's, it's played out and Pharmacan is not the only company that did it. We were in Illinois at the time at that in 2014, and there's tons of other companies that did the same thing. I mean, if you, Back in, I think it was 15, I was talking to, a, you know, a very high up um, elected official in Illinois. And I was like, I was talking to him and I, this was in early 15. And I was like, do you know where the leaders of cannabis are going to be? And, he, and he's like, I don't know, Colorado, California. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that you're saying that because that's what everybody would say. I was like, that's not it. It's going to come here in Illinois. He's like, what are you talking about? We don't have anything. We don't. It's like where this industry is headed, it's no longer going to be these artisanal um, family, small business. It's going to be big. It's going to be sophisticated. It's going to be corporate. That's where it's headed. And look at all these companies here in Illinois, GTI, Cresco, Verano, Pharmacan, Grassroots. I mean, those are big leading companies now. And, you know, you go back to, I think it was it was 2015. I remember it was like on I don't know, the MJ Biz Daily or one or maybe High Times. Like, what are the first billion dollar companies in cannabis going to be? And there wasn't a single company from Illinois on there. Now look at yeah all those big companies, and there's ones that are outside of Illinois, you know. But Illinois has, I think it has. If it's not, I think it's one of, if not the highest concentration of big. Um, well, you know, capitalized operating companies. And it's all because of that. Illinois was really at the precipice of when the wave changed from West, small, smaller companies to these highly regulated, sophisticated companies, sophisticated companies on the East Coast. Um, and so Pharmacan got started. We, uh, you know, we started, and as a basic strategy that I had at the time, and in large, it's not it's not the same today, but it was back then. Is I would rather have had I would rather have hired someone that didn't have cannabis experience because what I was looking for is, do you know how to manufacture consistently? Do you know? Yeah. I'd rather you know how to grow acres and acres of poinsettias. <laughs> at, than to grow five marijuana plants. Okay, yeah, the the horticulturist that knows how to safely, organically prevent pests and have high degree of production and quality and consistency, that's what I was looking for, not someone that knew how to grow marijuana. And with the theory being, it may take some time, but the horticulturist can learn how to apply their experience to growing cannabis 
but I can't teach a master grower that can grow really good weed in their basement or in a small grow room. I can't teach them how to grow hundreds of thousands of square feet in controlled environmental conditions, if that makes sense. Um, that, that was the basic. And then we as a company, myself and the other leaders we hired at Pharmacan, it took us a couple of years to figure stuff out. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. I mean, the people that built our facilities, when we built our first production facility, you know, we brought in all these engineers and these architects and these horticulturists, and they're doing their best to build this facility, but it's never been done before at this size. The people doing it have never done it before. You're taking your best guess, but, you know, guess what? It's a guess. Uh, you need to have some practice to learn and iterate. And so those first few years were spent just learning, you know, people that had these, these skill sets to learn how to apply it to cannabis. And so, you know, at Pharmacan, you know, like I said, the first few years were really spent learning. And we thought that was okay because, they, you know, the market in Illinois at the time was so small. And when we expanded to New York, once again, the market was so small. The thought at the time was, that's okay, we got time. Yeah, we're not going to go compete on the West Coast yet because we'll get killed if we go out there because we don't know what we're doing yet. But what, you know, give us, huh. give us a couple of years and we're going to pass them by. They know how to do it now, but they're stuck. They're plateaued. They don't have the capabilities of getting better, but we do. And that's what happened. And, and, and we're not the only one. That's what, you know, that's what the other big companies have done as well. They've had a long-term view. They've invested in themselves and their people, their systems, and they've learned. So, so while we're talking about the sort of bigger companies and, and, you know, and as you said, you know, a lot of those, those billion dollar companies, uh, they're all multi-state operators who who operate in, in sort of the strict regulate regulatory environments in Colorado, California is a little more, little more wild west, but what's your response to those that criticize, you know, corporate cannabis? Uh, It's one of, you know, the, the, when I read the comments on the Facebook page on my story, which I don't often, um, you know, a lot of them, anytime I write about sort of, you know, someone they consider corporate cannabis. I mean, it's a call to arms, um, you know, and, but obviously, you know, as you said, you know, you put in, you know, uh, however much money to, you know, build this sort of state-of-the-art facility that's never been done before, you know, which, which if you don't have that kind of sort of financial backing, it's impossible to do, right? So, so you know, and, and not only what's your take to the, your response to those that criticize corporate cannabis, but what's your take on the push, you know, to drive out or prevent such operators, such as what's playing out uh, currently in Maine? You know, I'm not, I'm not familiar what's going on in Maine, but I totally understand that criticism of corporate cannabis. I totally, you know, it's well, it's, it's, it's well, I understand it. It's deserved. But I think what people don't understand is number one, it's a natural reality. Okay. Everything, everything in life, whether you're an athlete, you're in business, no matter what it is, things get better. You have a choice. You can stay what you're doing or you can continue to grow. And anyone that was in this in the beginning, there were people and there were numerous cannabis entrepreneurs or before I got into it and they knew much more about it than I did. You know, they had a head start. The question is, what do you do with your head start? Do you continue to grow and get better or do you stay, stay where you are? It's a lesson in life. It's not just cannabis. It's anything. And so that's one thing. But the other thing I'll say is 
even if, and it's unfortunate for those people that perhaps feel like they've gotten passed by, you know, they were the ones that opened up the market. I mean, my, myself and my other companies like us, you know, we're standing on their shoulders and we have to honor that, respect that. I mean, those guys, those, those men and women that were in this, when I was in it, starting to look at it in 14 and 15, they knew so much more than I did. They, I've learned so much from them. And, you know, I, I certainly honor them and respect that. And that, you know, I'm one of those corporate people. I would expect them to respect me for what I've done and for what we've done as well. But then here's the last piece. I don't think they're done. I think there's always going to be a place for them. Yeah, they may not be, they may not be um, CEO of a multi-state operator, but do they really want to be? I mean, they... They, they still have an opportunity to continue doing what they're doing and be successful. And I, I like to use analogies, but I think, I think the beer, alcohol beer industry is a, is a great example of, yeah, you've got big corporate alcohol and beer, but guess what? There's tons and tons of very successful, popular microbrews. And I, I'll bet you, if you ask Anyone, I bet 95% of those business owners that have a micro brew um, or a brew pub, I'll bet you ask 95% of them, would you give up what you're doing to go work at Embed <laughs> and be reporting to some bullshit corporate bureaucracy? They'd go, hell no, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And so, there, yeah, there's that corporate world out there, but there's always a place for people that are doing things on a smaller scale and why because they're able to establish a more one-on-one direct communication or connection with their consumers they're able to pivot more quickly they're able to innovate in ways and do things that big corporate behemoths can't and so i think there's a place for both i understand the um the concern and the criticism that is out there with corporate cannabis but here's the i mean here's the problem if you are not corporate cannabis, how in the world can you satisfy the safety standards, the accuracy standards of labeling to protect consumers? How can you ensure that, you know, the mold is not there? How can you ensure that the excipients that are going into your vape carts are, aren't problematic? I mean, look at, look at the vape crisis. Yeah. Okay. That right there is the perfect example of why you want corporate cannabis. You want big, because that, you know, these products, yeah, cannabis, rightfully so, is talked about as a very safe product. Okay. And rightfully so. But there's a big difference between bud and highly concentrated hydrocarbon extraction reformulated with all these chemicals. Well, where the, where's that shit coming from? How do you know the safety of that stuff? Yeah, you might see the, the raw cannabis and the, the safety profile for that is very different. But oh, oh, wait a second. There's tons of examples of immunocompromised individuals inhaling burning, can, you know, inhaling mold. Uh, mold and it killing them. Okay. You know how you protect that from happening? You have corporate cannabis. And so, and so there's a place for it. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Is, you know, it's, I, I totally understand where they're coming from and the criticism, but there's a place for corporate cannabis and for the protection of the consumers that are out there. 
you want those protections in place and it's only corporate cannabis that's going to be able to really meet those safety standards. Well, especially on that sort of scale, to your point, if you're yeah. a, you know, mom and pop shop, you know, you might be making, you know, I mean, one tenth of the product that a massive company does. And that's to your scale. Right. So you're so they're able to, you know, make sure that it's safe by and large. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, you can look at and this it's a little bit off topic, but it's relevant. Like you can look at CBD right now. Everybody can tell CBD has a huge opportunity. But when you go into Gas stations. You go to a gas station or a bed, bath, and beyond. Where the hell did that come from? Nobody knows. No, it's. I mean, that's that's a really sort of wild thing. Is is and it's so much different from state to state that you know you can't guarantee you know that the same label even is the same from state to state. No, I think I. I mean, I hope uh, where where it should. I don't know what's going to happen. No one knows. But where it should happen is, you know, raw cannabis. You know, it's raw cannabis is closer to maybe produce. You know, yeah, there's intoxicants that needs to be regulated. But when you start getting into the extracted products, man, that's some that the risk profile of extracted products are I mean, they're they're multi they're log units. I mean, multiple, multiple fact higher factors of risk for the individual consumer with those with those extracted products. I, I do want to sort of sort of backtrack a little bit. You you know you had said when we first started talking about you know corporate cannabis, you know that that you're aware that you know the the industry is sort of on the backs of sort of those that came before, and and to you know we have to sort of talk about you know the the entire industry is also based on an Ill, in a drug that is still predominantly illegal, illegal at the federal level. Uh, people still arrested for it. Uh, I think something like uh, 85% uh, of arrests in 2014 were nonviolent, um, non-property arrests, uh, many of them for drug possession. And and so, you know, and, and the, the industry is predominantly white uh, and male for that matter. Um, and in you, uh, with Ethos, you're working with social equity applicants in Illinois. Uh, you know, for those who are not familiar, social equity applicants uh, programs, different states have different rules, but by and large, it's for communities that were most uh, affected by the war yep. on drugs. Um, what, is, you're, you're really the first sort of, you know, quote unquote, corporate cannabis CB, CEO uh, that I've that has been that I've had the opportunity to talk to that, that actually has one of these social equity applicants sort of partnerships. Can you tell me about that? Uh, you know, wh- what does it look like in Illinois? Is it coming uh, as, as quickly as, you know, people had sort of hoped, I mean, the coronavirus, I know sort of set it back and, and so, but specifically I'm more concerned about what your port partnership looks like and, and what is the hopeful outcome? Yeah, it's um, yeah, I got into it or it, I was going to do it regardless. Um, I had started, I've, um, one of the things I've been involved with for a while is mentoring people. And I, um, I mean, I think as being an entrepreneur is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. And I, it's, it's a thing that not many people get a chance to do. And so really trying to help people encourage them because it's scary to become an entrepreneur. And I started helping I, I get I asked to talk to people a lot, and I I, I usually uh, do those things. And there was a, uh, a a black lady that reached out to me, wanted some further coaching, and I was like, sure. And as I was talking to her, it was back in a um, little more than a year ago, and it was back when Illinois was looking at putting the thing in place. And as I was talking to her, I was like, you know, she was looking at doing a um, essentially she wanted to help out. She had a business. It was essentially job training, and she wanted to job train um, African Americans. 
to help them get into the cannabis industry as I was coming to Illinois. And I was talking to her and I was like, why don't you start a dispensary instead? Go, go to where the money is. Go. And on top of that, if Illinois passes this law, it's, if it happens, social equity is going to be a big part of it. It's going to be for people like you. I mean, she grew up on the south side of Chicago. And it's going to be for people like you. It's like, go to where the money is. You can start, you know, instead of being a staffing or training agency, wouldn't right. you rather be in the business? She's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And I started meeting with her just as a pure mentor. And it gave me the idea of, wow, I could really help more. This could be scalable. This could be bigger impact, not just this one person, but bigger. And I went to my company, my new company, and I was like, hey, I'm going to help. I'm going to help this person and maybe some others, but I think we should do it as a company. And it'll, it's the right thing to do. It'll be good for us as a company. It's, it's not, it's certainly not the best use of our capital. It's not the best use of our time, but I'm a big believer in pay it forward. You know, you know, don't, you know, if you do the right thing, it may be hard in the beginning, but you know, it'll be recognized and you'll get rewarded for it later. And that's you know, kind of one of the reasons we went into it. But I also felt like as I was talking to her at the time, it was like, as like, I think, you know, people, it, you know, reparations is a bad word to use or, well, it has been in the past. It's being talked about in a different way now, but I was like, you know, cannabis really perhaps could be that driver, whether you call it reparations or not, it has an opportunity to be that. And as I was talking to her at the time, she had some relationships with the, the legislators and the Black Caucus here in Illinois. And I was like, hey, you should go and lobby, do your best, go, go talk to your representative. And it's like, make sure they set this thing up so it benefits people like you. You have, because that's the way politics works, is it's yeah. trading. And yeah. it's like, to get this thing passed, it's going to require the Black Caucus. Well, make sure the Black Caucus, you know, doesn't vote for it until their community gets a piece of this is able to get the upside on it. Uh, and so back to your thing. Yeah. in in most of cannabis, just like most any other industry in this country, it's dominated by white males. That's unfortunately, that's the systemic systems that have been set up. It's going to take, my God, there's no telling how long it will take to fix those problems, but Hey, this, I think cannabis is really one of those, one of the first things that was, and I think it's just because we're creating it from scratch. It's like, okay, how are we going to set up the rules of the game? So everybody wins, not just, I mean, I think I'm entitled to have some degree of winnings. I've worked hard. I've done a good job. I've put a lot of time and effort into it, but hmm, maybe we can set this thing up that more people than me can win, if that makes sense. And so I think cannabis really has that opportunity yeah, could it be better? Could it be faster? Sure, but that's the way it always is. You know, it's, as a lawyer, one of those things you learn is if you're ever having a settlement and two people walk out of there and neither one of them's happy, you know you had a good result because <laughs> that's just the way it works. It's like if everybody gets what they want, that means somebody didn't get what they deserved. And so you're trying to find that middle ground to do as much good as possible. And so we ended up working with five groups. Um, where we're putting all the capital to them. We did all the work. Um, myself and my team uh, should do it. We do a good job of doing the applications. 
and we're going to fund, you know, get them, fund them, commit to funding them if they win these dispensary licenses. And, you know, we're going to be, we're, we're going to win in it as well. I mean, we're, we're a minority owner, but it's going to be their business. As I talk to them all the time and they're looking to me to do stuff, I was like, hey, this is your fucking business. Come on. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm here to help and help point, but, you know, it's your business. Come on. What are we going to do? It's, you know. A little, little uh, bit of tough love there, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, no, well, that's that's the way it is. It's like if if they're going, we want them. The goal is, we want them to build a successful business. They they've they've because they'll get something out of it from a skill set, their pride, the people around them, and they're creating these businesses. It's not just a handout or a check. Let's build. Let's build wealth. Let's build an industry that is inclusive of of everybody of society. And so it's, it's a really good opportunity. Uh, it's unfortunate. I don't know that the system, in, you know, I think the Illinois system, they did a, they did a really good job with it. No system's perfect. Um, there's, there's what I'm referring to as a loophole. We'll see what happens when those awards are like, or come out. Um, I've actually tried to help them draw some attention to it. I hope it doesn't work out this way. The craziness of it is the way those licenses work. You get you essentially get bonus points if you're a social equity applicant. And everybody kind of assumes you have to be, those bonus points are so many that you probably need to be a social equity applicant to win. And the crazy thing about it is there's three ways you can qualify. Two of those three, you would look at and go, yep, that's social equity. Well, one of them, and I'm kidding you not, if I wanted to, if my company wanted to, we could have qualified. All we would have had to have done is go find 10 people from one of these areas, pay a minimum, hire them, pay a minimum wage for a few months. We would have qualified. I don't think that's seriously. Yeah. And it's, it'll be interesting to see how the winners work. I'm hopeful that none of those people win because if they do, I think, you know, it's, it's taking away the opportunity from the people like what we have in our groups. Um, and there's, there's tons of other groups that are like ours that are doing, you know, these, these are the real, these are the people that were, you know, on the wrong end of not only, not only the war on drugs, but more problematically just the systemic, you know, racism in the country in general. Yeah, no, I, I mean, one of the things, you know, we, t- we talked about New York briefly, but one of the things that ha- was happening in New York for years and years was, you know, the, the stop and frisk, yep. uh, which basically, you know, the cops would say, pull whatever you have out of your pockets. And if you had a dime bag, now you have uh, public view, marijuana in public view. Uh, which which is a which is a crime. Um, so so just you know we have a few minutes left here. What what advice would you have for uh, entrepreneurs? You know what what what's or, or or what do you what's your response to I guess the most common question that people who seek your counsel uh, is? You know it's the the thing I always from an, to an entrepreneur, and it's the one of the things I learned that was. The, the, one of the most valuable lessons, what, and there's a number of them, but from a, to an entrepreneur is, man, just, just start. Um, I, it's really the first time you start something, it's really scary. You know, anything you haven't done before, you're going into a new area for your, you yourself. I mean, that's really intimidating, uh, especially when, you know, you're putting um, money on the line. Uh, maybe reputation, risk, whatever it might be. And the one thing that I try, and it's to re, it's one of the reasons I try to mentor people so much is to help them. I think one of the 
best, the most important things I do for them is help paint the picture to de-risk it for them, to make it not so scary. Because at least for myself anyway, I'm not saying it's easy. Being an entrepreneur is hard. It's really hard, but it's so rewarding to see what you put into something, see see the results of it. But also, once you get started, what I realized is the biggest battle is just fucking trying. I mean, most people... Most people sit on the sidelines and don't try out of fear. I mean, we're na- naturally as people, we're afraid of un- the unknown. And if you just try, you might fail, but you will learn so much in the failure that the second time you do it or the third time you do it, you'll no longer be scared. You're just continuing to do it. And eventually, I think it pops for them. And it, it may be not on the scale of, you know, m- maybe some other people but in a scale that is rewarding and is beneficial and what they were looking for all along. And so that that's number one. The other one that I cannot say enough as well is it is so important to have, you know, people talk about it in culture. Culture is so important. I did not realize how important, I did not realize how important it was. I thought it was, you know, I thought mission, vision, values, all that stuff. I thought it was, it was just hype or not even hype. Just, it was just words on the wall. But what ends up happening is when you're doing a business, I mean, you can't do it yourself. I mean, there's some businesses that are solo entrepreneurs or solo service providers, but most, most businesses are not that way. You have a collection of people and they have to work together. Well, how are they going to work together if they're treating, being assholes to each other, or treating each other badly? They're being selfish. They're being demeaning. Well, guess what? That business is not going to perform well. And so when you're starting the business, the mistake I made in the beginning was I looked for skill sets. I was talking about that earlier. Like yes, I was looking yes. for the horticulturist. I was looking for the scientist. What I did, I, for, I did not appreciate is who were they as a person? Because I'm going to be in the foxhole with them for years as we're building this. And if we don't get along, and, I, and it's not like we have to get along and be best friends. Yeah. But we have to have the same values because if, if they're different, you're going to have problems. And so those, those are the two things I tell entrepreneurs. Try, don't be afraid. Just try, get going. Try it on one thing and don't, and you know, chances are it may not work. That's fine because you're going to learn from it. And the next time that the, 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 the likelihood it works goes way up. But then that other one is when you're picking your co-founders, when you're picking those first people, look more than just their skills. Look at them as people. Look at what's important to you, what's necessary for the business. And that's more important than their skill set. You have to have the people all on the same page from a culture standpoint. So th- this has been one of uh, the most sort of candid or, or um, one of the most candid interviews that I've had with, you know, a CEO of, of sort of your stature. Uh, and I, and I really appreciate, you know, how sort of forthcoming you've been uh, super fascinating, just, just story that, that I, I would love to sit here and, and, and learn more about for the next, you know, 40 minutes. Uh, but we can't do that, but I would love to have you on again, sure. uh, you know, uh, and keep this conversation going. Um, where can people find out more about uh, you and, ethos cannabis in the meantime 
Sure. Great. No, and I would love to be back on. This is, this has been fun. The, uh, no, our, the company I'm CEO of is Ethos Cannabis. And that's the website, ethoscannabis.com. We are in Pennsylvania and Massachusetts. A couple of, couple of sites open today in Pennsylvania, but there'll be a, a large number of them open in the next six months. In Massachusetts, we should have four sites open in the next few months. We have an acquisition that's pending regulatory review should happen in a couple, maybe a, maybe a month for four dispensaries in Maryland. So that's where we are right now, wow. the DC area, the Baltimore area, Philadelphia area, soon to be Pittsburgh, the Boston area, uh, and have these licenses in application with our partners here in the Chicago area and also a license in um, waiting on review in New Jersey. So there's a lot happening. You'll be in my neck of the woods soon enough. Uh, I, I frequent uh, dispensaries in Massachusetts, and oh, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know close enough to Massachusetts that you know. Yeah, our first one will be in Fitchburg. Should be open there relatively soon. I'll, have to, I'll definitely have to, to to head down there once once it's open. Well, great. Well, let me know when you're going to be there. I'll make sure I get up there a decent amount. I'll make sure to try. We'll, we'll try to get there to arrange that time. Be good to meet in person. It'd be great to meet in person. This has uh, been the Gontrepreneur Devout Podcast with Teddy Scott. He's the CEO of Ethos Cannabis, a multi-state operator. Uh, he's got a PhD in molecular biophysics uh, from the University of Texas, JD from the Northwestern University School of Law. Uh, really great to have you on the show, Teddy. Thank you so much. No, thank you, sir. Thank you. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com on Spotify and in the Apple iTunes store on the Gontrepreneur.com website. You'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this and other podcasts. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, TG Brandfault. <laughs>